Welcome to the Bell Podcast. I'm Marcy Timmerman, your host. I'm the Executive Director of Mental Health America of Kentucky. Today, I am joined by a social work practicum student we have, one of our students, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Yeah, so like Marcy said, I'm an intern. I My name is Rebecca Taylor. I'm studying in the Master's Social Work Program at the University of Kentucky. Now, I'm not from Kentucky. I actually live in Washington State. Right now, I live in Tacoma area, Seattle area of Washington. However, I did grow up in a rural community in central Washington. So my heart gets pulled into the rural mental health aspect, but I'm definitely a mental health passionate person. That's what I'm leading towards in the social work career is anything to do with mental health. And so I'm excited to start these podcast series with Marcy as we talk about COVID-19 and how that has affected mental health. Yeah. And as Rebecca mentioned, it is a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have um, several of these on COVID-19 and mental health. So you all will see those in the title and we'll have show notes. We'll have links in the show notes to our other um, shows related to this topic. It's interesting. Uh, people are really not feeling themselves during the pandemic, even now. And especially as Kentucky is experiencing a second surge of COVID-19 here in 2021, uh, we all had that little brief moment where we thought, oh, it's going to get better. And then yeah, a surge came on. So it's been a lot to handle right? So in this episode, we're going to discuss more about youth mental health and children in particularly young children during COVID-19 and um, the multi-year now pandemic that we're facing. Rebecca, you actually pulled up a really cool article. Uh, You want to talk to us a little bit about that NPR article? Yeah. So that NPR article that Marcy is talking about, it listed a lot of different statistics. One of those statistics, I'll just quote the article, So the article states, quote, roughly 6% of U.S. children ages 6 through 17 are living with serious emotional or behavioral difficulties, including children with autism, severe anxiety, depression, and trauma-related mental health conditions, end quote. That article to me was just, it just opened my eyes to all the different percentages that it listed, the different ways it has affected the youth in our community, because I feel like the news is so portrayed towards adults that we don't get to see the youth perspective at all. You know, I was thinking about this 6% and I looked it up and that 6% consists of 2,900 40,000 children that deal with emotional or behavioral difficulties. And that blew my mind, just that actual number. I don't know if you have anything else to say on that, Marcy. Yeah, that statistic is national and it is from before the pandemic. All these kids were already struggling, kids and youth. I will mix that because it's a little bit of both. Typically, we call ages 12 to 18 youth uh, and under 12 might be children or kids just to help anybody who's listening, who's not familiar with kind of the way we do our lingo here at Mental Health America. It is interesting to me that in the article too, you were talking about how CDC was showing an increase in proportion of mental health emergency visits for kids, but we actually weren't seeing a similar increase in Kentucky. And I think that's really interesting that Kentucky just didn't really have the same response in possibly a mental health way, or maybe it was just a we can't get to the ER or we're already using the ER. We're not really sure why <laughs> we weren't doing it, but our increase in, in youth ER visits wasn't the same as this national statistic. I don't even know if that has anything to do with rural communities. 
studies or if they were just looking at one state in particular, the heavy populated states that are looked at more. I just, I'm not sure, but that that really blew me away too. One of the questions that I had about like those mental health hospital visits was why was there an increase in emergency mental health visits to the hospital? So that was one of the questions that I've hopped onto and really looked deeper into. I'll quote another thing from the NPR article and it quotes, many of these children depend on schools for access to vital therapies. When schools and doctors offices stopped providing in-person services last spring, I guess two springs ago, kids were untethered from the people and supports they'd come to rely on, end quote. And that statement brought up so many interesting points that I wanted to talk about. So first of all, as adults, I think it's very hard for us to trust people, especially about physical or mental health problems, just because, you know, those are private conversations and we're not just going to go around and talk about those with different people. And I think children have that same reservation about speaking about the things that are concerning them and not knowing which adult to trust or how adults are going to react to their concerns. Are adults going to say, oh, don't worry about that and just push it to the side? Or are adults going to say, oh, that's interesting and really hype up that concern and make it a bigger thing for this kid and make the kids scared. Yeah. You don't want adults that exacerbate the situation and some of them do. And I know they don't mean to most of them. So, but yeah, that's definitely something we all do. It's important to have that trust an adult in their life and, and identifying and being that adult when you can folks. So we'll have some tips about that in a little bit. Well, and speaking about children relying on adults, that's their support systems that they have. And, you know, COVID-19 has stripped away a lot of those support systems and, Mm -hmm. you know, support systems come in many different sizes for younger kids, like elementary school and further Mm -hmm. down, you know, they have recess, they have lunch and extracurricular activities. You know, they're just all about play and using their hands to verbalize and express the different concerns that they have. And especially with the different support systems that they have as well. I don't know about you, Marcy, but when I was in elementary school, one of my favorite things was going to recess and playing tag with my friends. That was a way for me to interact with people and sometimes talk about my own concerns at at some point. Yeah. And with your online masters, I'm sure it's hard to, to do that same thing. It's that connection. It's harder. It takes more intentionality, right? Yeah. When kids are in front of a computer screen, instead of seeing a bus driver, seeing a cafeteria lady, seeing all of their friends in one place, that does make it very hard. And you have to be really intentional about building those structures to keep them uh, connected to each other. Definitely. And I think a lot of kids deal with isolation as well, because they are in front of this computer screen, trying to learn in a different aspect where it's more online and very isolated. And like you said, I struggle with it sometimes and I'm a 25-year-old adult. (laughs) I'm a 40-year-old. I totally get it. I do too. So you're not alone. But yeah, can you imagine being a baby born in this? That's an interesting point that you were bringing up with some of your research was just some things that you'd seen. I did um, want to talk about a friend of mine. So she had a baby during COVID. You know, my husband and I were invited over to have dinner with them and their three-month-old baby. At this age, you think babies would be okay with like, oh, you cooing at them or making faces and they react to it in a happier way. This baby was not very happy with us looking at her at all. 
we would just glance at her and she would scream at the top of her lungs. And I was really shocked. I was, oh my goodness, is this, is this really what COVID-19 has done to babies? And my husband, babies love him. (laughs) And he would try to like coo and make this baby like feel more relaxed and everything he did, it just had her scream like go higher and higher and we were just oh this is what COVID-19 has done to even an infant yeah I'm sure probably not all infants but definitely many have been in isolation they haven't seen a lot of strangers right is there any other real life stuff you've seen about how impact how COVID might have impacted some youth um, that you know yes for sure so I have two siblings that are in high school And I have a sister-in-law that's in high school and COVID-19 really did a number on on kids. So my sister-in-law, she lives in Tacoma, Washington. So it's more um, city-like, urban. My two siblings live in rural Washington. So it was very different in those two aspects. But my sister-in-law, it impacted her extracurricular activities, her dating experiences, her work and socialization. She had just started dating this boy And as soon as COVID-19 hit, it hurt their relationship so much that they decided to break up and it was mutual. You know, there wasn't a lot of availability to socialize and be able to grow that relationship. So that was one impact that she definitely had. Extracurricular activities for her was an outlet for stress. And she wasn't able to do that as well. Like they stopped her extracurricular activities. She couldn't go running. You know, it was just very isolated. So that was some of the things that she had seen in the more urban community. As far as like my siblings, it was very different. (laughs) We're more of a farm community. When COVID-19 hit, they weren't going to school anymore. All these farmers were like, oh, this is great. Now we have extra hands. We can use these kids on the farm. And my brother loved it. He was on top of it. He wasn't, he didn't care that he was getting up at five in the morning, working until one in the morning. He just was, yes, this is what I want to do. But as far as my sister goes, she was, no way. I don't want to work on the farm. Where's my routine of going to school, having extracurricular activities, and then coming home so her routine flipped for a loop where my brother was yippee I don't have a routine anymore so those were some of the things that I have seen throughout throughout my siblings and sister-in-law's experiences yeah and I think that's fairly what I've heard from a lot of youth actually even in Kentucky across Kentucky we've had a lot of conversations with youth about how that early especially early 2020 you know was really really hard now you know it kind of feels like there are some teens coming back with a little bit of almost that relived experience like oh gosh here we go again right and we're having this whole okay what parts of my my routine do I get to keep what parts don't I get to keep and so I don't know if you've seen some of the headlines here recently um where some of our schools are shutting down now, all of a sudden with no NTI days, which is our version of virtual school or take-home packets, you know, whatever that might be given technology where they are, because obviously we have some rural counties that don't have great technology available. So no internet, things like that. Um, so they have like physical packets of paper they take with them. Relation plans to work on at home. Uh, several of our school districts have already shut down, but some of them are keeping the extracurriculars open, which I found interesting. If they're outdoor sports or something like that, or like the volleyball, they're like no spectators, just the players, that kind of thing. So they're finding different ways, but that means our different youth are having different experiences across the state too. And I think that's part of what we wanted to highlight here was that it's hard 
some of them are thriving, some of them are not. Uh, and understanding what that looks like, I think is important. And you were right about making sure that all of our kids get a little bit of connection as much as we can with other people, no matter their age, right? We just covered baby to high school. And I think that's true. My own son is seven. So uh, he was six when the pandemic hit. And again, we had to have those play dates. We created our little pod of people and friends that were being careful who had similar age children so that we could all keep connected and that they could get some socialization after a few months. I think there's been a lot of coping to be done and I think it's good to know to recognize that so great job on that piece as well so you were talking a little bit in your um, piece that you wrote um, about this about parents and guardians as well and how they're stressed about seeing the kids stressed and what a cycle that can be right did you want to elaborate on that some yeah the parents we talked about how the kids and their social support systems were being stripped away because of COVID-19 restrictions. It's not only affecting the children, it's also affecting the parent and the guardians of these of these children and youth. In this NPR article, it had different stories and experiences of different guardians and parents and how the school system was a vital system and resource that they had for their kids. And when that was taken away, these parents and guardians didn't know how to get babysitters or how to get different resources if their child needed, you know, extra support. Where were they going to get that extra resource now? Because it was being taken away. I have seen how children with mental health have struggled um, during COVID-19, early on in COVID-19, because the counselors at school were no longer available. And then you go to this virtual therapy session. And how is that going to help children? Because it's on a computer screen. How are you supposed to be interactive with a computer screen? Or yeah, and the question going- of safe home and is it safe for them? Are they in a private space? Yeah, most, most computers are not in private spaces. We don't want them there when we have children around. So there was a balance there, I think, for a lot of parents too and a lot of kids. So that's a very good point. Yeah. And you mentioned too in this piece that you wrote and that we're kind of working from that there's always help available, but you're right. Sometimes it's online right now. Online works for some people really well. And it doesn't work so well for others. Providers do a different job each time, right? Some of them are better at it than others. My message to folks dealing and struggling with that is to hang in there, to be honest and give feedback to the provider if you're seeing someone like that, because I think that's that's important, right? To have them know, hey, this isn't working. We're not connecting. And that could be just interpersonal, right? Because finding a therapist is like dating. <laughs> that's what I always say. I'm like, sometimes you will go through many before you find the right one for you, right? That is just how it is. And psychiatrists, same thing. And honestly, primary care, same thing, right? And so school counselors are one person for the whole school. A lot of times here in Kentucky, we don't even have a school counselor in every school here. So I think that shift to online counseling visits was really hard for a lot of folks. You're right. And it's interesting. I think the piece actually also covered, you know, those parents that have kids with disabilities who needed OT, occupational therapy, physical therapy, those kinds of things are often done in the school. And we just had passed legislation to allow us to have mental health visits in the school, not just the counselor, but also additional therapy and, and psychiatry here. So it hadn't really been an established practice here. 
and then we're all in this isolated time of chaos. <laughs> so I think it would have been good if we could have seen the crystal ball. We needed it a couple years before. Thankfully, a lot of our schools were able to pivot pretty quickly. It's been interesting. And, and folks, if you don't have a great mental health system at your school, uh, contact MHA Kentucky. We'd be happy to help you connect with people who created that change in their own community. So uh, no matter how small your school is, there can be mental health resources there. It's a matter of prioritizing them, funding them. And sometimes that means state money. Sometimes that means local dollars just need to be shifted to the right place, right? So definitely see a lot less juvenile justice and other issues like that when we have better mental health systems all over the state. But what do people need to know if they are in a situation like, especially as we're coming back to COVID again, this was kind of an older article, but what do you think we need to know? Like, is there stuff that you want us to make sure we take away? Well, for sure, Marcy. Um, there's definitely different resources that I think a lot of people don't realize are at their fingertips. Um, like you said, the MHAKY website is a very great source. Um, you know, there's obviously going to be some networking involved with MHAKY's website and getting the people are in need to the appropriate resources. Another big thing that I wanted to talk about was the crisis hotline. I think this is a great resource. It's open 24-7 and the professionals there are swift in connecting the people in need to appropriate resources as well. It's free it's confidential. They are there to understand how the problem is affecting you or your child slash youth. And just know that you are in a trained individual's hands at that point. And they are there to support and share any helpful resources for your situation. Yeah. And there's no judgment there. I love that. <laughs> so you can ask them anything. There's no judgment on those lines. <laughs> which is very relaxing and relieving to, to guardians and parents because we aren't going to know everything. I'm, you know, I'm not a parent to any child right now, but I'm sure when I am, I'll have different stressors and concerns. Shouldn't I know this? And it's okay if you don't, because we aren't perfect. And right. I think that was a very valid point that you brought up. Another thing is COVID-19, there are always going to be different reminders of what we have lost during this pandemic. It's okay to acknowledge those. It's okay to learn to deal with those stressors and reminders. And, you know, some of the tips that I want to touch on for kids and youth who are struggling is they can rely on their parents and guardians. And the parents and guardians that are listening to this, I hope you realize that you have been doing a great job so far during this pandemic. You have noticed different things that your kids are struggling with. You have been their cheerleader for different symptoms and helping them get out of that funk and helping them learn, even though it's in a home, it's in a home area, it's on a computer, it's in a virtual site, you are being the biggest cheerleader for your kid. And just continue to do that, validate their feelings, and advocate for them as much as you can. And I'm sure y'all are doing that. Another like little trick that I've seen is think of them as they are your best friend. And you would say anything to uplift their spirits or uplift their, their emotions during this hard time. I mean, if somebody was talking to you and you were feeling really down about yourself, they would say all these different things to get you to 
feel good about yourself. And we can do the same thing for our kids, but we can also turn it around and say, okay, you pretend, child, you pretend that I am your best friend. Tell me how to feel better about myself. And then they'll say some things and we can say, look, look at all these beautiful things that you have just said to your best friend. Realize that you are your own best friend and you can do that for yourself as well. Well, that's an important way of thinking about changing that internal script. I like that a whole lot um, as one of the ways to do things. But also I want to make sure that folks don't mishear that authentically, right? That's what she means. Having authentic things. We're not telling people things that aren't true, right? We never tell our kids that. So just a note that if you're, if you're in that space and you're, you're giving them cheerleading and pipping them up, keep it authentic, right? And keep it real with them. Don't pretend that it's little things like, oh, it's going to all be okay. That's probably not a really good statement, right? We want to make sure we're authentic as parents as well. But you can also like, you are strong, you are brave, you are capable. I think that's really cool. And there's different resources as well. Setting a boundary skill is huge. And I think that is very modeled by parents and guardians. If children and youth don't want to talk about COVID-19 very often, it's okay to say that. It's okay to say, look, can we talk about something else? Can we just play tag, go to recess, or do something active instead of talking about this problem that I can't do anything about? I think parents and guardians are doing a great job in modeling that for their children. Having a boundary skill is also very important and it is modeled by these parents and guardians because maybe kids don't want to talk about COVID-19 as often as other kids do. And it's okay to say, hey, let's put a pause on this. Let's do something else. This is just me being safe for me. And you can talk about it with somebody else, but I'm not going to participate. And I think parents and guardians are doing a great job in modeling this for kids. Kids watch us in different ways that we don't even know about. That is a good point. And I don't always think of those kinds of things as setting boundaries, but they are. I think that people don't realize they have skills sometimes in these mental health things that we talk about. We're like, but you already do that. You keep the news confined to a certain hour at night or something like that, right? That's a really cool thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've even seen my father-in-law put a boundary on how often he watches the news. Like it's only one hour and then he goes, okay, I'm done. Like, that's it. That's all I'm going to watch of the news. And his kids do that. I know my sister-in-law doesn't talk about COVID-19 as often as other kids do because she's seen the boundary that her parents have set for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's not wallowing in it as much as she might. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a good boundary to have. I'm also a terrible doom scroller myself. So I've learned to put the health apps on my phone. Uh, Android has like a healthy phone usage app. You can set it to stop letting you be in Facebook or Twitter or wherever uh, for so long. That's been really helpful for me. And to only use the screen for so long too. Like I have that one because I'm on my phone for two hours. I'm probably not working at that point. So it's time to shut it down, right? Um, so yeah, I love that. And I love that for kids, um, you know, having them, do things like that is really important. Setting good age appropriate boundaries, right? <laughs> Some other tips and tricks that I have seen in my research is sleep regulation um, can help with anxiety, depression, and other stressors, not only adults, but youth and children as well. If your child have questions about why they need to go to sleep when there's no school going on or different things, not going on in their lives as it would be. You can educate them at their age appropriate level and let them know why it's good to have eight hours of sleep or more. 
depending on their age range. And there's other different things as well. You could even practice yoga in front of them. Some kids will jump in, some kids won't, but at least parents and guardians are modeling different resources for kids to use as they grow older. And that image is ingrained in their minds so that they can use it throughout their lives. We might we might not see it right now, but it is definitely in their minds. Oh yeah. I love that. The different ways that you all help yourselves with your mental health, your kids are going to do similar or at least learn to do that. I love that attitude. What you mentioned about sleep schedule. I think that's something that's interesting is some kids didn't have a bedtime anymore when COVID happened. And I was like, oh gosh, (laughs) y'all. So, But I had to explain to my kid, you know, your brain likes this. Right. And as we educate them on mental health and mental brain, how your brain works, it just makes things much more normal to talk about when they're broken a little bit. Right. So great points on that. And it looks like, oh, you had some tips here too, for how, what, when kids just won't respond well to parents or guardians, like you had found a lot of things about that. So I'm going to let you give us some tips from that as well. Okay. Yes, Marcy. I do remember the different resources that are used when kids aren't responding very well to their parents or guardians. So the light therapy was something that I researched and was found that it was a great tool that is useful and helpful for both adults and kids. By getting outside for like 10 minutes can boost your energy and mood. Might not think that, but I've been doing it since last semester and this semester, and it has, it has increased my energy and mood. And that's just a way to help your kids not feel like they have to verbally express themselves to you, but it's a way that they can respond with their behavior or with their bodies in a different way. And then gratitude journaling is also very helpful as well. If your kids aren't responding, you can give them little uplifting notes here and there around the house. It can be like a scavenger hunt. It's not a resource to take away the pain, but to widen reality so we can hold painful and good things at the same time so that kids can realize, yes, COVID-19 is hard and things are being taken away from them. But we can also see that there are good things that they can hold in the other hand and balance that out. Let's see, the last thing that I just wanted to say to parents and guardians and youth that are listening to this is it's okay to try as many different resources as possible because some things aren't going to resonate with you as others will. And it's okay to find your niche and your child's niche and then use it to benefit everyone in the family. Yeah, that's a good point. We can throw a lot of tools at y'all, but not every tool is going to fit every personality, every family, um, every means even, right? And the time frame that you have. So that's an excellent point. And also um, one thing I think we skipped over was You know, kids, I think a lot of us have been doing this already, but I always like to make sure we point out they do need social time, especially our preteens, teens, right? They need to be able to FaceTime with relatives, FaceTime with family, FaceTime with um, the family, right? Those friends that are family, (laughs) the friends that are close to them, right? And having those Zooms, FaceTimes, video games have become a constructive thing in in COVID-19 for a lot of kids. And that's okay. Uh, I think folks were looking at screen time and feeling guilty about it. And I'm just not sure that that's something we should feel guilty about at this time. You know, um, you are a parent, you're doing what you have to do. Uh, If screens can be used in a positive way. So that's one of my soapboxes, actually. (laughs) 
you know, screen time can be okay for a kid, right? But trying these other things too, making sure you're bonding as a family and bonding with other people are important too. But you're right. Most parents have been doing it right. Whatever right is for you all, there's no right or wrong, black and white, right? So I think that was the cool part about what you had to say as well. So. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I get so much yeah. in my head about the different research that I've done and I'm like, oh, I forgot that point. So thanks, Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so. I think this was a great podcast um, already. If you folks want some more ideas, need more toolbox information, or uh, want to search out any of that uh, hotlines and things that we have, uh, we are at mhaky.org. So that's Mental Health America of Kentucky. So mhaky.org. Uh, you can also reach us by phone at 859-684-7778. And we are also available by text. So we know not everyone has the ability to call and has enough minutes to call and have a real conversation with us. So text is available as well at that 859-684-7778. Thank you so much, Becca, for coming on and doing some hard research on COVID-19 and mental health and youth. There's so much that we've had to cover, um, but I think we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to continue this series with you, Marcy, and thanks for letting me be a part of this project. Awesome. Well, thanks folks. Um, We will be seeing you soon. Mental health is important. Take care of yours. Have a good day.